0: All right, John 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, I should say, verses 35 through 51. I'll read this and then we'll look at it. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to, the, to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Um, it, this uh, in, in the book of John, the way that I understand it, at least, I I, I see an emphasis on this idea of, testimony uh, that or, or witness in and I talked about that a little bit last time how there's the, there seems to be this repetition of the idea of bearing witness or testimony in the book of John and I, and I've built my outline around that idea that in in the first chapter here uh, in the first part we have eternity's witness to who Jesus was and and testifying that he is uh, that he is pre-existent and is God Himself, and then we have testimony in the middle section, up through chapter four, and about in the middle of chapter one, and up through chapter four, of the testimony of the receivers, those who receive Jesus. And I think that that's an emphasis that's in this epistle, or this—I should say—this gospel as well, because of John one twelve, which said, "As many as believed him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name." And so there seems to be an emphasis in this epistle on those that receive Jesus for who he is, or in this, yeah, in this gospel on who Jesus is, receiving him for who he is. Then I see later on in, in, the, in this gospel an emphasis on the words of Jesus and his testimony about himself. And then finally, I see the testimony of John toward the end, John the, the evangelist, John, and his testimony regarding the death of Jesus and, and the end of his life. And, and the things, I think specifically, where, that, where the testimony of John is significant is when Jesus starts teaching at the Last Supper. And, and uh, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that at the end of John, there is a significant chunk of space uh, from chapter 13, verse 1, uh, through chapter 21, is all the last week of Christ's life. That's, that's a significant chunk of scripture there. That's nine chapters that's all happening in the last week. And so there's much more of Jesus' teaching directly to his disciples. And, I, and, I, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to prepare them for the church, for the church age. And, and them being the, the founders in a way of the church and, and, the, and, and Pentecost and what was going to come afterwards. And so John is recording those words and trying to help us to see that Jesus had this all planned out and was teaching them and prepping them for that even, even as he left. And, and so I think John's gospel, more than any other, is really written to the church and, and the, the, uh, the Gentile church and the Gentile and Jewish church as a whole. And, and we can see how that kind of fits into that mold uh, with that teaching there. Whereas it seems as though Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Are written more along the lines of a uh, more to convince maybe a, 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 a maybe a percentage of the population that that was on the on the fence on Jesus. For example, I think Matthew's gospel is specifically to Jews, and 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 Luke's seems to be uh, well specifically to a guy named Theophilus, um, and so. So that, that's what I see as John, as a difference in the focus of John. And so then when we talk about, so we're kind of in that section at the beginning where it's the testimony of the receivers, those who receive him, that 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 he gave power to become the children of God. What do they testify about? And we saw John's testimony last time I preached. John the Baptist, that is his testimony, and how his how his testimony impacted other people. We saw um, how he impacted people who didn't believe, and as well people who who did believe because we, we went through these verses in, in 35 and 36 uh, here where he sends, basically John tells these two guys, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and they follow him immediately. They, they just, they, they have been with John long enough to know that when John says something, there's something significant there. And And, and so now I think we're in a section here Following John's testimony, where we're we're talking about the testimony of the disciples themselves, and you you can see this emphasis, I think it goes through the end of chapter 2, because we have these little testimonies here, uh, specific testimonies of how different apostles or disciples had come to Jesus and had had been brought into the mix here at the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, what's interesting to me is that if you look at every story in chapter 2, and we'll talk about this the next time I preach, but um, it says at the end of the, the, the wedding at Cana when Jesus turns water into wine, it says in verse 11, the disciples believed in him. Uh, it, in verse 22, after Jesus cleansed the temple, when, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So we, we see these, this repetition of this important fact and of that the disciples are believing. And so I see this whole section here dealing specifically with the disciples and what Jesus did to to help the disciples believe who he was and receive him for who he was uh, as he as his ministry was beginning and I and I think that's really the emphasis of what John is is teaching here I think there, there are several important points about what he about what he teaches here as he as he brings this out uh, that um, th- that are important but I think the main the main content of what, Paul, of what John is writing here is to show how the disciples got to the point of believing, how they reached that point. And, and so I kind of want to I want to kind of jump off of that or use that as kind of a jumping off place to get to what I want to focus on tonight and that is how that impacts us. I, I, I want to I spend most of the time applying, What's in here? Not necessarily talking about what it means, because I don't feel like this is that hard to understand. What's going on? And and I think there's multiple ways that you could apply it, but uh, but understanding what's going on seems pretty basic. I mean, you've got Andrew and another guy who I personally believe is John, who left John the Baptist and followed Jesus. Then you've got Andrew telling Simon Peter, "Hey, we found the Messiah." And he comes and Jesus calls him Cephas, which means Peter. I think it's, it's, it's funny to me that, it, that, it, that, that that it's translated the way it is in the ESV, that it says you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It, it really, probably what John meant to say is it means rock. Because he's probably trying to explain what the Aramaic word that Jesus called Peter, Cephas, was. Uh, what it meant for people who didn't probably speak Aramaic anymore so what he meant to probably say was more, which means rock, and also in verse 41, probably not which means Christ, probably meant to use the Greek word there to say which means anointed one, the one that, that Jesus, or that God had anointed to do this task. But then, and then you, you have the, uh, and then you have Philip and Nathaniel, two lesser known disciples who are brought to Jesus as well. He sees Philip. Philip just says, he just says to Philip, follow me. Then Philip finds Nathanael, and Nathanael's kind of skeptical, but comes and, find, comes and sees Jesus, and Jesus um, wows Nathanael essentially with his knowledge and, his, and the works that he's able to do. And, and Nathanael is committed, receives him for who he is. In verse 49, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And so, I mean that there you go that's what it <laughs> i mean that that's what's going on there that that's what it means. It means that it, it's exactly what you think it means when you read it there's It's not necessarily something that has you know you know there's something you know I, I I could probably try to you know pull out some crazy uh you know this stands for this and you know get all crazy on you, but I just don't. I'm, well i don't I don't interpret the Bible that way I think it means what it says it means here, and so I don't think the meaning is hard to come across, but i want to talk I want to focus more on application and in my application and i I think like I said there I think there's different directions I could go and as I was reading a commentary one of one of my commentaries in particular um the one by John calvin, he focused on one thing that he kept bringing up as he talked through this was this emphasis that he saw in here on the way that these men came to the point where they believed. And, and the variety of ways. Now, I, you know, we are a people who love, um, you know, methods and things like that. And, and even, especially, I think it, it's maybe something that affects the church in a unique way. But I think it affects all of us. You know, if I had, um, if, I, if I offered you two opportunities to read something up here about how to study the Bible. Okay? I have a book in my, that in my possession that I have studied at different times to, um, about hermeneutics and just how to study the Bible in general. And I, and I find it very helpful. It's called How to Study the Bible for All It's Worth. If I offered you that book or an article that was titled Five Ways to Understand the Bible, which would you probably select? You'd probably select the article. The five you know, five ways guaranteed to get the Bible right every time or something like that, right? You ever see that stuff? You know, the, I think the, another good example is that, uh, that book that, that Jeremy uh, referenced, I think, when he was talking about, I think he referenced it, was The New Kid by Friday. Was that the book he mentioned? I don't know, but you can have a new kid by Friday. There is a book called that that you could have a new kid by Friday. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the book you want to get, right? Because it's like, I mean, once I get to Friday, I'm good, right? You want to buy it on Thursday because it's much easier that way. But but the, the, fact, the fact is that we love that. We love this, uh, you know, five steps to this, five... You know, I, I, I like to read articles on the internet and the ones that, that, that grab my eye most often are the ones that, that are like that where it's like five things for this because then I know I can just scroll through and get the big points and find out if it's worth reading or not. You know, so I can scroll through it and be like, okay, what are the five things? And, eh, I've heard that before. I don't need it. Or, or I can say, oh, that's an interesting point. I wonder what he's saying about that. And we love that. We love this type of method stuff. That that seems to boil everything down. And I, I think part of it part of the reason why we love that stuff is because we're a little lazy. We love to be kind of minimalistic. So we say, Well, this worked for me, and so, you know, this is how I did it. We we wanna we pursue the easiest path to our goal and when we figure it out, then we boil it down to five steps and publish it and make lots of money you know that that's our plan and that's how that's something that i don't know if it's an american thing or it's just a people thing but it's something that that i noticed that we are attracted to as people especially as americans and it's uh and it's something that's that's interesting i even as you think about churches in particular you know church growth was such a big deal for people and so you know when when Willow Creek and Bill Hybels and that was, such, was so huge and growing, expanding, always getting bigger and bigger and adding new things. Everybody wanted to be like them. And if they had a conference, everybody went to the conference to find out how to be like them and to employ their methods so that they could be, uh, so they could be like Willow Creek. I, I didn't know this, but I, I heard a guy who used to be at Willow Creek uh, in, when it was at its heyday. heyday. Um, I heard him when I went down to visit my brother Reagan recently. His name's Lee Strobel, and he mentioned that when he was, that one thing, one of their philosophies was that uh, the, the weekend was going to be for, was where they served and where they got, you know, they weren't, it was, church wasn't going to be for them. It was going to be all for unbelievers on the weekend. They had their, their corporate Christian, well, I mean Christian, it was still Christian, but I mean the, like for Christians themselves, their corporate worship service for members and such on in the midweek so that they could you know so they could minister that's how they you know they they, they expanded so quickly on the weekends because they would make it, it was all about drawing people in then on the weekends and they would you know they did everything pragmatic that you possibly could I, I'm not necessarily agreeing with that philosophy but that I'm sure there were probably churches that started adopting that fairly quickly after they found out I, I didn't even know that that's the way they did it but I'm sure that there were other churches that That did that. Why? Because it was working. It was pragmatic. You know what? Whatever works, I'm going to do it. And some, you know, often we're like, you know, quick to jump on the bandwagon of whatever seems to be working. And we're looking for methods and plans and and five steps to this and that, so that we can find the easiest way. And And I think part of it is is the laziness that's that's in our humanity that makes that attractive, because we don't really want to put in the work that's necessary to to recognize you know, what all what all goes into, you know, the whole process of growing a church. And, and even Willow Creek had to come back to the point eventually and say, you know what, we did a really good job at having a lot of people here every week, but we really didn't grow any Christians in that time. And that's kind of a problem. And they had to rethink their philosophy and their methods. And, and so I, I think one thing that I see in here is the difference in the way that these men came to to the point where they believed Jesus. And I think for us to be effective disciple makers as well, that we we must recognize that disciples do not all come to faith through the same process. That it's not the same for everybody. Just because you you went to a Billy Graham crusade and heard the gospel and walked the aisle and or what and got saved that doesn't mean that, that 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 a Billy Graham crusade is the answer to every lost person out there not that a Billy Graham crusade is bad necessarily but that doesn't necessarily make it the answer it doesn't make it the only way the only process the only ministry by which someone can be saved if you were if your salvation you know, came through Uh, you know, came through a relationship that someone built with you and where they, you know, were they they invested in your life and they discipled you uh, in, you know, and just kind of walked you through different things until you got to the point where you saw and understood, again, that doesn't mean that that's the only way. I mean, again, the, the person who got saved at the Billy Graham crusade is just as much saved as the person who was walked through that discipleship. They might be in different places on the path and, and you know, different parts of their spiritual growth and everything, but, but I think what we tend to do is we, we say, well, it worked for me, it, it'll work for everybody. And, and we miss the fact that there's no guaranteed strategy that will that, that'll bring somebody to Christ. I mean, in practically speaking, and obviously, the Word of God is at the core of all of this. I don't want to. I don't want to minimize the gospel and the Word of God, because I think that that's key. It's the, it's what we have to preach, but it, but it's applied in different ways. You understand what I mean? So, so as I look at this, I see that there's these four different disciples, and their and the diversity of ways in which they come to the point of faith in Jesus Christ and the different influences that, that spoke to their hearts and, 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 and impacted them in different ways. I mean, look at, first, first I see Andrew and Peter who responded to the testimony of other people. And I think that this is significant, that, you know, here is John. John has talked about Jesus and pointed him out as the Lamb of God. And they have heard enough of what John has said about Jesus that they immediately follow him they it says the disciples heard him verse 37 say, they heard him say this and they followed Jesus they were willing they they John had prepared them to the point that when they saw Jesus and he pointed that pointed to him that he, they were ready to follow but this wasn't a this you know in Andrew's life and 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 what I like I said I believe it's John is the other one that these two men didn't you know, this wasn't just, you know, like, you know, here's, you know, Jesus shows up one day and they just start following him. This is something that John had been teaching them for months, possibly years, that they had been disciples of John the Baptist and that they had gone through listening to John, listening to his message, listening to him call for the repentance of people who came to hear, hear him speak and to be baptized by him. and 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 they had bought in to what, to what John believed, and to what John was preaching, and when John then pointed to Jesus, they knew their responsibility. They knew what they had to do when they saw Jesus. They had to follow. They had to go with him, and they were willing. They were willing to follow. It didn't matter what. Notice what happens after that. That Jesus says to them, well, "You know what? What are you guys following me for? You know, I, I think he's you know." It, it seems as though at times Jesus is trying to get people to recognize, he's almost like trying to get people not to follow him, in, to see if they really want to follow him. And so he uses this psychology in a way. I, it, I think it, it's kind of the similar psychology that he used when, um, when someone asked him another time, Lord, I, you know, I want to be your disciple. And he said, well, hey, I, there are, the birds and the foxes have places to lay their heads, but I don't. And another man said, hey, I want to be your disciple, but I need—I want to go bury my dad first. And he said, let the dead bury their dead. I think, you know, it's almost like he's saying, you know, hey, are, are you really? Do you really understand what's going on here? Because if you don't, don't even bother. And I think that's what's going on here. You know, what, why are you following me? What what, what do I have that, that you want to come follow me? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, y, where are you staying? Where can you know, we want to be with you. We want to learn from you. Where are you staying? And, they, and he said, come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour would be close to evening. And so they, they, they didn't have anywhere else to go. They stayed with him that, that evening. And, and it seems as though from that point they stayed with Jesus. They followed Jesus. So, so they, there was this process that, that happened in Andrew and John's lives where, where John the Baptist's testimony had, an effect on, had such an effect on them that, they, that when they saw Jesus, they were willing to sacrifice even their bed, the place to lay their head, to follow him. And to be willing to go and to be his disciple. To follow him to the ends of the earth. Well, Peter was impacted by somebody as well. Uh, it says that he was Andrew's brother. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, the anointed one. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which, which means Peter, a rock. And so, so Simon, here's an important cog to the, to the eventual church. Peter, and, and, and it's, you know, it's interesting, there's much that's made in this passage uh, when I've heard it taught and preached of Andrew, and I think, there's, I think rightly so, of Andrew's commitment to bring other people to, to Jesus, and what Andrew does here is he, he first finds his own brother, that's what it says, he recognized that his first responsibility was to his family, and he goes and he tells Simon, he says, Simon, we found the Messiah we found the Messiah, the one that's been promised through all the prophets and the law. We found him. Come and come, follow him with us. And, and so the, the ministry of John the Baptist indirectly impacts Peter, but, but directly Andrew's ministry affects Peter. And he brings him to Jesus and Jesus says, you're, you know what, you're not going to be called Simon anymore. We're going to call you Rock. Because... And, and we find out why later on on this rock I will build my church he, he points out uh, when Peter acknowledges the deity of Christ in Matthew uh, that's that story is not in this gospel but but the, but the significance of Peter's testimony and and we're going to find out even more about Peter as we go along because John's testimony later on at the end of the gospel has this whole, important part of Peter's life that none of the other gospels have and that is that part where he where Jesus calls him to feed his sheep after after Peter has already denied Christ. And so John seems to be sending setting this important message of of the importance of Peter's ministry and his leadership of the of the disciples and in the church it's at, in the church as it started. And here he's saying, look, it, Andrew had this huge impact. This is a story that I, th- I, I feel like as I read this that John was essentially trying to tell us, hey, you know what, you know Matthew's story already because Matthew's story is in Matthew's gospel. And you know some of the other ones already. In fact, we know a, little, we know different, a different aspect of Simon and Andrew and James and John's coming to Christ because it seems as though perhaps it may have been after this that they went back to their fishing for a time, before, and then Jesus calls them when they're at their nets, and they leave it all and follow him there. But here is the introduction to who Jesus is, and it, he's, he's sharing this as, as an observer, somebody who was there. And then we see, so we see Andrew and Peter who responded to the testimony of others. Secondly, we see Philip who responded to, he just responded to the word of God as it was proclaimed. And this is Jesus' words, of course. But the next day, Jesus decides to go to Galilee, and he finds Philip, and he just says to Philip, he just says, follow me. And it seems like Peter does. or I'm sorry, Philip does. Philip just follows Jesus. I mean, this guy, I, there's no background as to why he was so ready, but something told him that, that this was for real. This was who he needed to follow, and the word of God was enough. The word that Jesus said was enough for Philip. And he just says yes at at the command of Jesus to follow him. And, and, I mean, there's not much more that needs to be said. I think we can see the power in the word of God, the power that Jesus had. Perhaps there was some influence from Andrew and Simon here as well as John because it does say that, um, that he was from that same city that Andrew and Peter were from. But that's all. That's the, only, that's the only thing we have to go on. But that, but that Philip was just willing to obey. The word of God was proclaimed, and Philip obeyed. And and sometimes that's sometimes that's all that needs to sometimes that's all that needs to be done. Some maybe somebody's been searching, maybe someone has has gone through, you know, has gone through a difficult time, and the, the word of God just needs to be needs to be proclaimed to that heart. And there's not as much of a, of a nurturing process that has to take place in that person's life. And Philip was ready. He was ready to follow Jesus when Jesus called him. But Nathaniel, on the other hand, Nathaniel needs to see something a little bit more. Now, there is the influence of Philip, for sure, on Nathaniel's life. And, and we could probably point to that in some way. But, it, but, but Philip's words don't seem to convince Nathaniel. Not like John's words impacted Andrew, and Andrew's words impacted Simon. It seems as though they were impacted more by the words of someone else, whereas Nathaniel seems to be more of a skeptic, more, more of the guy who's just not sure. Oh yeah, what makes you so sure that, that this is the guy? I mean, because he says, we found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, really, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Not not that guy. Not not from Nazareth. And he's skeptical. He's just not sure. He's not sure that Philip knows what he's talking about. And so Philip says, well, "Well, why don't you come and see? Why don't you? Why don't you come come meet him? and And you'll see for yourself." And so there's this emphasis here on on what he sees because Jesus brings it up too because you. Because you've, uh, you'll see greater things than these, he says in verse 50. And, and, and saying what he'll see. So there seems to be this emphasis on, on Nathanael's life, on seeing. And so Nathanael um, sees, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he says to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And he, he says, here is an, a true Israelite. Someone of the faith of Abraham. Someone who is looking for the Messiah. So he had been impacted by the word of God already as well, but he was looking for the Messiah. He, had, he, was, he was a true Israelite, and it says, in whom is no deceit. In other words, he wasn't, uh, some people think that perhaps he was just blunt. He said what he thought, and that he didn't try to deceive anybody. He, you never questioned, you never wondered what Nathanael was thinking, that Nathanael probably just said. What he felt, and that he didn't deceive you with his words or his or anything. And Nathaniel says to him, "Wait, how do you know me? You know wh- why are you saying those things about me?" And Jesus answers him, "Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you." And now, now he's talking about a time when no one else was around before Philip even came and saw him. And and he's he's amazed by this. He's amazed by what Jesus says. And the works of Jesus. And when, when he sees Jesus and he hears Jesus' all-knowing deity revealed, he answers, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And, and you'll notice, again, I think there's an emphasis here in, in Nathaniel's words on who the Messiah was and who they were looking for. That he would be the Son of God. He would be the King of Israel. That... that that the Messiah would be these things. He was an Israelite indeed. He knew what the law said. He knew what the, what the prophets had said. And this is who he was looking for. If you're going to, wait, you're going to tell me that the Messiah has come? Then, then it's going to be the Son of God who's going to be the King of Israel. And he knew something of the Word of God, but he needed to see for himself. And so he was convinced by the works of Jesus. And again, th- that's going to come up again. The works of Jesus are going to prove are going to bear witness as to who Jesus is as well. But Jesus says, Because I have said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so he points to this, um, to something greater that they were going to see. Not the, the... we don't need to focus necessarily on on an event, perhaps of when this happened. Um, perhaps it's just perhaps something happened that was not recorded. Uh, it could some people point to the tra- the um, tra- when when Jesus was the Mount of Transfiguration. That's the word I kept wanting to say transubstantiation, and that's definitely not it. Um, the Mount of Transfiguration. Or when, possibly when he ascended into heaven, that perhaps they saw the heavens open in, in these cases. Uh, regardless of when it is, there seems to be this pointing again, and it, something significant about Nathanael's, who Nathanael was and Nathanael's position and who he was as, as an Isra, a true Israelite, that he points to an Old Testament story when he talks about the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I think what he his emphasis is on the fact that there's something really great here that you're going to see. And you're going to see God in the flesh. No more mediation of. Remember what Jacob saw? He saw the angels, he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. But here, the angels and are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And it seems as though he's pointing to the fact that you're going to have a different kind of access to God Himself through me. And this is the greater thing that you're going to see. The greater way to God through the Son of Man. And and that that ultimately is the great thing to see in all of this. You know, that, that is... Of 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 the differences which I've emphasized. There's there's really one constant. And that's Jesus. You see, ultimately, it it's 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 all about Jesus. And, And what needs to be the focus is not the method, but the destination. Not the not the way to and you know what I I've just pulled out three little examples of different ways that people came to the point where they believed who Jesus was and received Him for who He said He was and followed Him at the at at their own cost. But there are many more. I think we could talk about. I mean, we could all give our testimonies and talk about the different ways that God worked in our lives to bring us to the point of faith in Him. But you know what the constant is? Is where the faith lies. It was where the faith is directed. And so the focus of it all is not even on the men and, and the process, but the focus is on the, 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 the source and the, the, the pinnacle of the faith. It's on Jesus. And, and that's the emphasis here. It, it, that if you miss that it that Andrew followed Jesus. And that Andrew brought Simon Peter to Jesus, and that Philip followed Jesus, and that Nathaniel saw Jesus, then you miss it all. If, if the focus becomes Andrew or Peter or Philip or Nathaniel, then we've missed what we've missed what John is focusing on, because John is focused on Jesus. Jesus is the one that if you receive him, you, become the, you get the right to become the child, a child of God. And so he is worth following. He is worth depending on. He is worth investing in. That is what the emphasis of what John is writing here. And it, it, we, we all come from different perspectives and are impacted in different ways. But we all, if we are true Christians, come to one point, And that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that he's worth following. That he's worth sacrificing our lives, our fortunes, our well-being for. Because he's God. And that is the point that each of these men came, from, came to. And no matter what the process is, whatever, whatever process needs to happen, I mean, you should be pursuing some sort of process to bring people to the knowledge of Christ. Whether it's relationally or inviting them to church or preaching yourself. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, you better bring them to Jesus. Because that's the only hope. You see, I mean, Andrew didn't bring Peter to a soup kitchen, he brought him to Jesus. Philip didn't tell Nathaniel that he'd found wealth, he told him he'd found Jesus. And if, and if we're not proclaiming that, then we're missing one of our most important obligations as Christians to be pointing people to Jesus whatever way we can. Getting people to see Jesus.